Well, I'd like to uh, welcome each and every one of you to uh, week number two in our new series entitled My Ebenezer. Last week, we discovered uh, that Samuel set up a pile of stones to help the children of Israel remember what God had done, a marker to remind God's people that he was in their lives to help. That's what the Ebenezer means, a stone of help, to restore to remind them of his faithfulness, his eternal covenant, his promise that I will always be with you. You are forgiven. You are desired. You have a new direction, a new path that will lead you to a life of meaning and substance with God as your guide. Samuel's Ebenezer Stone has its modern-day equivalent in trail cairns. It's a Gaelic word, Uh, that means rocks, and it's two or three or more rocks stacked together. This is to mark a trail for hikers. Now, it's very common in Arizona along the Mogollon Rim. They're also called trail ducks. Add a stone as you pass by to both confirm and help other hikers. It doesn't mark the end of a trail or even a resting place, not even a milepost. But in trackless mountains, rock fields, and deserts, it's a confidence builder that you're still on the right path. You're following the way that others have passed to mark the way home. That's an Ebenezer. An Ebenezer, in essence, says, go this way. Others have followed the path, and it leads to a particular destination. Now, last week, the first Ebenezer was the Bible is the Word of God. And those who follow God's Word uh, in their marriage, in their finances, in their relationships, they will find truth and peace and joy. But those who go the other way, who go opposite to the Word of God, well, there's many, much evidence of human wreckage, of suffering, of despair. I'm going to go my own way. And those who violate the clear teaching of this book um, will find trouble. Well, today, our second Ebenezer is uh, something that really matters to all of us, and it's to live in community. Now, I'd like to introduce this message today by asking our friend, Amita Mason, if she will come and tell us some things that she has learned. She has, as you can see here up on the communion table, she has a bunch of Ebenezers, and I'd like to ask her to come now and share about that. My name is Mita, and I've been a part of this Grace family for nearly 23 years. And the last five years, I've been teaching middle school Bible at Push Ridge Christian Academy. And essentially, I have a job that combines um, the best of public school teaching with all of those years of leading VBS here at Grace. And I get to have a sick sense of humor like middle schoolers. So in my eighth grade Old Testament class, we begin in Genesis, and we see how God created the world, and then man messed it up. Um, God continued to desire a relationship with mankind through one specific family, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then their descendants down in Egypt. Then Moses led this family, God's family, out of Egypt and back towards the promised land. 
he didn't get all the way, um, and he messed up too. So Joshua takes over, and he leads this family into the promised land. So that's where we pick up the story, right here at the beginning of Joshua. Joshua, who takes over from Moses, he's going to lead a whole new generation of people across the Jordan River in a way very similar to how Moses led the prior generation across the Red Sea. God's going to part the Jordan, which is flowing at full flood stage here in the spring, and the people are going to cross over on dry land. Now, as they're crossing over, God commands them to take 12 stones from the center of the Jordan River. The very center where the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant stood, they're going to take those 12 stones, one for each tribe, and take them to the other side where they reach Gilgal, and they're going to erect a memorial on the other side at Gilgal. They also take 12 stones and set them up in the middle of the Jordan River, right where the priests are standing. We don't know where those are. The scripture says they're still there to this day. Um, so that's where we pick up the story. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 20, And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So, why did God command this? Well, he knows these people. He knows them really well. He knows that within three days of crossing the Red Sea the last time, within three days of God's provision of parting that sea, they're whining and complaining again. That's all it took was three days for them to forget. He knows that they need to remember. He's commanded, M Moses told them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these things that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Well, how can you teach your kids if you don't remember what God has done? We have to have tangible reminders so we don't forget. God knows us really well. So now, on the other side of the Jordan River at Gilgal, when the Israelite kids walk up and they say, Papa, what are all these rocks? And the guy could say, well, Sonny, let me tell you about that day. We crossed the Jordan River. That was raging waters, and we crossed over on dry land, and that was just before we took down Jericho. Oh, I still have these battle bunions from all the marching. <laughs> And let me tell you how God worked that day, too. Just look at these rocks, I'll tell you. Those rocks helped them to remember God's faithfulness and provision. Well, a long time ago, I was reading this passage, and I was challenged to remember. So I started taking rocks, and I started writing on them whenever God would answer a prayer. And I started putting them in a jar. It was an old mayonnaise jar my grandma had canned jam in. And I started saving rocks over the years. I had quite the collection on my kitchen counter. I'm now on my third jar at home. I started these jars before my kids were born. And before I was married, before I had kids, I was praying 
that one day my kids would know the saving love of Jesus Christ. So the night that each one of them came and prayed with Carl and I, we wrote it down. We went and the kids helped us get a rock and we wrote down the words that they said. Here I've got Skylar's from March 13th, 2000. Hannah's, February 8th, 2003. Cody's, October 7th, 2008. They can go and pick up these rocks and remember the night they gave their heart to Jesus. In fact, Hannah called me this semester. She was in the middle of a class at, in, at her senior year of college. She's writing a paper for her spiritual journey. She's like, Mom, what's the date on my rock? I need it for my paper. I wouldn't have known the date had we not wrote it on a rock, had I not wrote the words that she said. Hannah asked Jesus to take her sins away and be the boss of her life. Those are the words she used. I've got rocks all over here. And many of these rocks, Grace, have your names on them. Because we've walked through a lot of life together. I've got rocks for where we saw God's healing, miraculous healing. Remember Susie Park? <sighs> rocks for Susie's healing. I've got rocks for broken relationships here at Grace that God restored. I went and got a rock and wrote those names on them. The date God restored those relationships. I have rocks from when we were in the land between and praying for the next pastor of grace and God saw fit to bring us our next pastor. I've got those rocks here. What do they do, Grace? Your stories, our stories together, little as they might seem, they encourage my faith. Because these rocks might seem little, but when you put them all together, they're a really big mound of God's faithfulness. Now, I've got one rock in particular that was really hard for me to add to my jar. And many of you know our story. You know that my husband Carl was diagnosed with colon cancer the summer of 2014. That was in May. Well, the morning of July 20th, I was sitting in our backyard with my journal and my Bible, and I was writing out my prayers begging God to heal Carl from this cancer. I wrote out the words to the song, Your Love Never Fails. It never gives up. It never gives up on me. You work all things together for my good. I wrote out those lyrics. I wrote out my prayer begging God for Carl's healing. Well, Carl and I brought the kids to church, normal church day. We went to Rubio's after church, Ace Hardware, picked up the lawnmower, went back home for a nap. And that evening, we got ready to come back to Grace, where we both led the youth group. Carl and Skyler took one car, Hannah and I took another. And many of you know that Carl and Skyler didn't make it. They were T-boned in the intersection at La Choya and Lambert, and Carl was killed instantly. Skyler was critically injured. Over the next year, of praying through and trusting God and not knowing what was in store for our family. At one point, I went back over my journal and I saw the entry that I had written that morning, begging God to heal Carl. And in that moment, I realized 
that God had, in fact, answered my prayer. Because nine hours after I wrote that in my journal, Carl was cancer-free. No more pain, no more hurting. It was not the way I thought God would answer it. But God had, in fact, healed Carl. And so looking on all these other answered prayers over time, I was able to confidently write, July 20th, 2014, Carl healed. I didn't have to understand it. I didn't have to like it to trust the God who has us. And you, Grace, walked through that with us. We could not have made it through that season without this community. We couldn't have made it through any of these seasons. Ten years before that, you had walked us through with Cody and his heart defect, his heart surgery. You had walked us with us through that. And it, because we saw God's power then, because we saw God's provision in 2004, it gave me the faith and the strength to believe that God would show his power and his provision again in 2014. And you, Grace, were a part of that. Now, picking the story back up with Joshua and the Israelites at Gilgal, after they set up the rocks in chapter 4, they went on to conquer Jericho. The rest of the book of Joshua is the story of the conquest in the land of Canaan. And it's really cool to read those chapters. You almost don't notice it as you're reading the cities that they conquer. But every time they'd conquer a city, they would come back to their camp at Gilgal. And guess what was there? Those rocks from the Jordan River. They'd go out into battle, and then they'd come back together at Gilgal to be refreshed and encouraged and reminded that it is by God's strength and God's power that they were able to do anything. If they hadn't have come back to Gilgal, would they have had those reminders? Whether it's Gilgal or whether it's grace, we have to come back together and be reminded of God's faithfulness. We have to look at those rocks of remembrance and say, thus far the Lord has helped us. On the last day of each school year, I give my eighth graders a jar. It's got a little tag on it, and it says, this mason jar, my last name is Mason, <laughs> this mason jar is now your Joshua jar. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let them know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Record each answered prayer with a remembering stone. You are precious to him and to me. I've got kids that come back and will tell me, now they're all big men. Mrs. Mason, I got rocks in my jar on my dresser at home. <laughs> it's really cool to see how their faith is growing as they add those rocks. I also asked them on that last day of school to go out to the the field out by school and pick up another rock and they come back in and they write their names on a rock I take a big boulder and write the year of that school year on it this one was 2019 and each of the kids then in turn glue their rock to this Ebenezer in my classroom I have piles of rocks all lined up 
The kids will then come back year after year looking for their year, looking for their rock, and they will recount tales of things that happened that year. They will remember how God saw them through. They actually lived through middle school. There's proof. All these are proof that you can live through middle school. Last year was a bit different. We weren't in school in person on the last day of school. So I went out and got a rock out of the middle of the lake where I was teaching, and then over the Zoom call, proceeded to write each of my kids' names on the 2020 rock. So it looks a lot different than my other Ebenezer's. Grace, as we come back together, what kinds of individual stories can you tell of God's faithfulness through this last year that we've been apart? How are you recording God's faithfulness? Are you writing on rocks? Are you writing in your journal or your Bible where you have seen God at work that only he can do? Do you have a blessing jar where you're writing on slips of paper God's faithfulness to you? It's not just for our own benefit. All these stories I remember well but it is for the benefit of our community and the benefit for generations to come that when they look at these stones and they say, what do these stones mean? You can remind them of what God has done. I remember 10 years ago, we were praying, thus far the Lord has helped us. We each had these magnets with the verse from 1 Samuel with these cairns on it. God saw us through that then. God has seen us through a whole lot, Grace. But we have to stand together. We have to come together. We have to remember thus far the Lord has helped us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mita, so much. Um, that song that we sang a few minutes ago, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. This is the Ebenezer that we're talking about today, that the Ebenezer of the community of God, being a part of and standing shoulder to shoulder with other believers, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Here's how, here's how Paul described the Ebenezer of our community. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are connected to God. We are built into a spiritual house. Now, when the Bible talks about the church, the body of Christ, it's never about a building. That word always refers to a movement. The church of Jesus Christ is a movement. Onward Christian soldiers where we take the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. Romans 12, 5, we read these words. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. And each of us needs all the others, right? So here, I want you to do something. This is interactive, like Mita did. I want you to turn to someone near you and say, you need me, okay? Do that right now. You need me, right? Okay? Now turn to somebody and say, 
I need you, right? I need you. Well, why do we need each other? Well, let me share some things with you uh, briefly this morning. The first thing is this. I need others to walk with me. Now, we talk about the Christian walk, the journey, the venture, the odyssey, right? We walk with Jesus. We know it's a very personal thing. And our walk is never to be alone in Scripture. We are called to be in a community. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. In fact, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? There's no castaway Christians when we interact with a volleyball by the name of Wilson. There's no Sherpas where we live with yaks and meditate on a higher being. We are called to be in community, to be connected with each other. We travel this journey as pilgrims with each other. I need you and you need me. There's this ancient Zambian proverb. When you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. Life is not a hundred meter dash. It's a marathon. And I want my life to count. And my life can only count when I'm connected to the body of Christ. So uh, in 1998, it was just before my 50th birthday. Uh, I'd been out of the ministry for a little over a year. I'd been going to counseling. We'd been going to marriage counseling. I'd been going to Gamblers Anonymous. All of these things were happening in my life. Uh, but there was still this uh, sadness over me. You can ask Sherry, this sense of kind of shame and guilt that I was feeling. And uh, Sherry said, what do you want to do for your birthday? Normally, Sherry would have a birthday party with 200 people, right? That's her style. My style is she and I go out to dinner somewhere. But I said, I I don't want any party or anything like that. So here's what Sherry did. She sent out hundreds of texts and emails and letters to people from, I'd been in three churches at this point, Mount McGill Covenant Church in San Diego, Lakewood Covenant Church in Denver, and Roseville Covenant Church in Minneapolis, or, or in Roseville, Minnesota. And she sent out hundreds of texts and emails and all of that. And uh, for my 50th birthday, she presented me with this basket full of hundreds of cards and, and words that said, I love you. You matter to me, Dwayne. I care about you. Thank you for ministering to me. Thank you for taking care of our family. And all of these things, it was the most amazing gift a human being could ever get. We need each other. In fact, write this down. Community is God's answer to loneliness. When someone is stumbling, we're there to pick them up. When someone is tired, we're there to carry them. I remember so well uh, last year, for the first, starting in March, for about seven or eight months until October, uh, as you remember, we were doing our worship simply online. We didn't have live stream. We didn't have the equipment to do it like we do now. But um, we were taping the service on Saturday. And for those seven months, uh, the worship team and Sherry and I and Kathy and anybody else that was helping with tech, we were a life group together. Sherry used to have what we called sanctuary picnics afterwards. We'd invite one of the couples from the worship team and we'd have lunch together. We needed each other. And we were trying to stay connected and I'm sure many of you stayed connected in other ways, but this was our way of staying connected. We recognized that we needed each other. I mean, I take my walk with Jesus, the furious love of Jesus, very seriously. But I also take my journey with you, the body of Christ, 
very seriously as well. So that's the first reason we need each other. We need each other to walk with each other through life. Here's a second one. I need others to work with me. Ephesians 2.10 says, God made us to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. And we need to do it together. We need each other to accomplish the work of Jesus Christ. So uh, Mita was talking about the early days of the Israelites, and there's this one occasion where um, Moses, the Israelites were, going to, were doing battle with the Amalekites and, uh, in Exodus chapter 17. And there Moses said, listen, I'm going to keep this, my staff raised and my head up on a hill so when you look up, you'll see that staff and you'll know that the Lord is with us. That was an Ebenezer. The Lord is with us, and he's going to be with us in battle. But you know what happens after a while, right? You're holding up the staff. Man, you can't hold it up. It's starting to slip down. It's starting to, ah, I can't do it. And so Aaron and her came and said, we will stand with you. And they just yanked his arms back up again, and they helped him keep it so that the Israelites had victory over the Amalekites. I remember at Hope, there was a time when uh, I was really going through a difficult uh, time. The church was growing rapidly, and I was not able to kind of keep up with everything. And I always wanted to be involved in people's lives, but if people are getting ahead of me, and I couldn't get, keep up with them, and I couldn't help them. And, and I just remember how difficult it was. And so one day, one of the members of the church, his name's Bruce, a good friend of mine even to this day, came to my office, dropped by the office, and said, hey, Dwayne, I just want you to know something. I said, what's that? He said, I'll be your errand. I'll be your errand. If you need help with something, if you need help holding up the staff, I'll be there. I'll do whatever is needed. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. I've seen this so often at Grace Community Church. I mean, before the uh, coronavirus hit, G-City was an incredible ministry that you had. And we did that together. And we reached our community together, right? I, there's two people I want to mention. And I don't normally do this because there's so many people that help and so many people that do great things. But there are two people that have been doing something since we moved back into live worship in October every single Sunday, right? Patrick Knowles is doing our live stream every Sunday. Louis Marshall is out there every Sunday sweeping everything, setting up everything, doing everything. Now we see the worship team and we applaud them and we thank them, but these are people that are doing, and we couldn't do this without them. Community is God's answer to fatigue, right? Well, I remember when we did uh, our outdoor worship, our outdoor Easter service at Tumbleweed Park at Hope. We started that in 2008. And the first year we did it, we didn't know what we were doing. We rented this big pavilion. We rented a thousand chairs to set up. We built a stage. We did all of that. And then we're just hoping that somebody would show up, right? And, and I'll tell you, I could, and I remember saying, hey, we're going to need help setting up a thousand chairs at 6 a.m., right? The services at 10, but we had to set up the food, set up the Easter egg hunt, all that stuff. So I said, I hope enough people come to show up to help me set up chairs. Well, there were 65 people there at six in the morning. What can I do? Let's set up chairs. Let's fix food. Let's do whatever we can. We need each other. We met with a pastoral search team uh, just a couple, of, about a month ago. Uh, they asked myself and Pat, uh, our, our assistant superintendent of the conference, to join them for a meeting. 
And I remember one thing that Mac Good said during that meeting. He said, listen, we are doing this together. We do this work together. Galatians 6.10 says, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. That's right here, right now. I need people to walk with me. I need people to work with me. And next, next, I need others to watch out for me. I need people who will defend me, who protect me, who watch my back, who will stand up for me, who will confront me when I sin, who will keep me on track. So Jesus uh, said something as, as he was leaving the earth. He said, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit, the comforter. And the word that was used there, the Greek word was paraclete. Paraclete's an interesting word. Uh, it, it, it means a comforter, but it means more than that. In the uh, Roman army, when they would go to battle, if they, if they were fighting a battle and they had somebody that was watching their back, okay, so I'm fighting this way and this guy's fighting this way, that person watching your back is a paraclete. The Holy Spirit is watching your back. And listen, the body of Christ, the community of God's people, we are called to watch each other's backs, Right? So many times I have needed people to come alongside me and encourage me. So many times I've needed someone to come alongside me and say, hey, Dwayne, man, what's going on here? This isn't, doesn't look right. What's going on with you? I had people say that when I was during those years of gambling. Of course, I ignored them at the time, but people were really trying to watch my back. And we have people that are watching our back. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your spiritual leaders your staff, the FT, the OT. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Man, I mean, we go away on vacation, right? We ask somebody to watch our stuff or we ask somebody to watch our dog or we ask somebody to watch even our kids. But listen, what God is saying to each and every one of us, I want you to watch each other's souls. I want you to look out for each other. I want you to hold them accountable. I want you to love them. I want you to encourage them. Who's watching your back spiritually? Is it a close friend? Someone who will speak the truth to you? And who are you holding accountability to spiritually? Community is God's answer to defeat. Ecclesiastes 4.10, if one person falls, another can reach out and help. But people who are alone, when they fall, are in real trouble. I remember when we first started Hope uh, in the strip mall, uh, July of 2000. And shortly after that, we called a young man, uh, uh, Brad Kendall, to uh, be our worship leader at uh, almost uh, no cost to the church, right? Uh, we didn't have any money to pay anybody, so we felt we just, you know, asked him to come and join us, and he did. And I remember one of the first days we were there together at the church, uh, I had a little tiny office, and he had to set up uh, in kind of just outside of the little restroom, that was his office. And, uh, and I remember he came over to me, and Brad said, now he was, he's 20 years young, my junior, right? And he said, hey, hey Pastor Dwayne, I want you to know something. Um, I've got your back. If you feel, um, now this was just a few years after I had confessed my gambling addiction. I said, if you feel like you're tempted, um, if you fail, if anything's going on with you, I'm here. I'll pray with you. I'll help you. 
You can call me anytime. It's kind of like being a sponsor. And, 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 and here was a guy that was literally 20 years my junior, and he was there to watch my back. See, I need others, just like you do. I need others to watch out for me. Next thing, I need others to weep with me. We are not to face crises alone. We need each other. Just like Mita described when her husband Carl died. You know what the Church of Jesus Christ did here at Grace Community Church? I mean, they, right, Mita? They surrounded her and Cody and the family. They just surrounded them with love and care and compassion. When our son was in his accident in October of 1989, our 10-year-old son Tyler before we knew that he was brain dead, before we knew that, he was in the hospital, in the waiting room, Sherry and I and the kids, uh, Tammy and Nathan, were in tears. Within an hour of us getting to the hospital, there were over 100 people from our church crammed into that waiting room. They didn't have any easy answers. They didn't have any answers at all. They just stood there. They were present. They would come over, they would just read the Psalms. They'd come over, they would lay hands on us and just pray for us. They didn't know what to do, but they knew to be present. We need someone to weep with us. Romans 12, 15 says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Now there's one last reason that we need each other. I need others to witness with me. Sometimes as a pastor, I'll be very honest with you, um, I, I feel like a general of an army, and sometimes, you know, I get people fired up. Okay, let's go out there and share the good news of Jesus with the world. Let's do this. And I say, okay, let's go, you know. And I, then I, I look back, and everybody's still drinking coffee, you know. And I say, what, ju- what just happened? You know, I'm, I'm the general. I, what, where's, the, where's the army? We need each other to bear witness to the love of Jesus. I'll tell you why. The world is watching, and they're listen- Listening. They want to know if the God that you say you love and serve is real. And so they watch you. Each and every one of you, they watch you. We say, well, what can I do? Well, know your story and know his story. Share your story. Like the blind man. When the Pharisees confront him, hey, that, that guy Jesus, he's a sinner, What are you doing listening to him? And here's what the blind man said, very simple. He didn't have any theology, no theological training whatsoever. Here's what the blind man said. I don't know what happened. All I know is this. 30 seconds ago, I was blind, and now I can see. Share your story, and then share his story. This is what Jesus did for me. He died on the cross for my sins. He gave me the hope of eternal salvation, And I am here to love him and serve him for the rest of my life. Share his story and share your story. Be light, be love, and love people until they ask you why. Pray each day, Lord, help my light to shine for Jesus. John 13, 35 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How you love each other and how you love the world will prove to the world that you are his disciples. That's why hatred and intolerance is so un-Jesus-like. The world laughs at Christians when we don't love each other. They laugh at us. 
they want us, they want to know if our love for them is real or if it's just words. That's why it so bothers me, this, this red-blue contempt that we find ourselves in the middle of. That's not Jesus' way. There's always another way, and Jesus has provided that way. I remember when we were, again, at Hope, um, there was a group of people that were very committed to um, feeding the homeless on Christmas morning. We would make hundreds of meals. Many of the church people would come like at five o'clock on Christmas morning. (laughs) Such a blessing to see this. And they'd make like hundreds of meals. And then they would go out and there was a couple of gals in our church that had been formerly homeless and they knew where all the homeless people lived in downtown Phoenix and other places. And they would go out there and they would just give these meals away and they would do it in the name of Jesus. And someone asked Carol one time, she was the head of this, you know, why do you do that? She said, that's because that's where Jesus hangs out on Christmas morning. That's where Jesus is. We need each other to bear witness to the love of Jesus. How we bear God's love to the unlovely, to the broken, to the hurting, to the marginalized, to the forsaken. That is our witness to the world. Your love is your witness. And it's very, very personal. How do you bear Jesus' love to the diseased with AIDS or the divorced or the alternate lifestyles or people who have screwed up or fallen short or disappointed, who have abused the system, who have offended our sensibilities? Together in community, we bear the love of Jesus to each and every one of them. Now, Isaiah was a great prophet and uh, a man of God, but he had his problems and his faults. But there was one time when he was absolutely committed that he was going to do what the Lord was going to ask him to do. And this is what he said. And when I read this, you'll recognize it, Psalm 61. When I read this, I want you to hear this as your call to ministry. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, Isaiah wrote, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim freedom for the captives, and release for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. We witness as a community when we embrace the unembraceable when we love the unlovely, when we give hope to the hopeless. So brothers and sisters in Christ, together we bear witness to God's love to each and to to the lost and to the broken and to a dying world. And why do we need each other? Well, I'll be just very personal. I need you to walk with me. I need you to work with me. I need you to watch out for me. I need you to weep with me. And I need you to bear witness to the love of God with me. That's the community of Jesus Christ. And that is our Ebenezer. Bow your heads, please. Father, it's so difficult sometimes to recognize that we are more than just an individual. But we're a community of faith. 
And Father, I pray that you would just help us to all sense this anointing that Isaiah sensed thousands of years ago. That we are called to bring love, to bring our faith to a community that is lost and broken. And also to the community of faith right here inside this building. The way that um, the church ministered to Mita and her family. The way the church in, back in the day ministered to Sherry and I and our kids. We need each other and we need each other desperately. Father, may we see this as our Ebenezer, the community of faith, the body of Christ, God's family. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.